0: Today, today we are. This is the last Sunday in this series that we've been going through. We started the series in like July. Um, <clears throat> those of you who've been around a while know that I like long series. I like, I like to immerse us in topics because um, people, people are here and then they're not here. And if when it's short, it can be. Um, well, the point is to be educational, right? To to get us to think about things. And so uh, hopefully throughout this process of of talking about words of life, first with with about, I think we spent about eight weeks on Hebrew words, um, and then we uh, probably about the same, I think, on on Greek words, and just how these words reveal the heart of God, um, that he remains creator. He remains the one who has more of an interest in seeing life flourish than anybody else. Right? If, if God created you, if God wanted you to be alive, then who wants to see you flourish more than that? Right? How could anybody want to see you flourish more than God? And many of us go through life really not feeling that way for, for a number of reasons. One, maybe we have a, a, a faulty definition of the idea of flourishing, Right. that, that prosperity is, is uh, health and wealth is flourishing. Um, and then God lets us down, right? Because that, that doesn't happen to all of us. Um, so maybe that's it. But then I think far more often the reason we are unsure if God really cares about our life and our flourishing, I think, is because everybody around us has told us that we don't deserve that. You know, we, Some of us in this room have had parents who um, have their message to us about who we are were profoundly negative messages. Right? Some of us have grown up with very influential people whose message to us was, "You are not worth it." right And we grow, and when you grow up in that environment, to be able to accept that the creator of this universe, the person who, the, the God who created that person who told you you were trash and worthless, it's extremely hard to come to that point where you can admit and accept. That God's love um, is designed to help you flourish. That God cares about your life. And so, uh, so I, I wanted to spend this time um, <clears throat> really digging into this idea that God actually really does care. I mean, here, here are these about 16 words or so that they are so wide and so deep and so strong They paint this amazing picture of this God who is desperately committed to seeing us thrive, to seeing us being, um, having life and having it abundantly. So, um, it seemed to me that the appropriate place to end, um, was with the actual word for life, the the Greek word Zoe. So if you know anybody named Zoe, right, that's their name means life. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> Zoe has to basically two two definitions in, in the New Testament. The first is just physical life. So you're either dead or you're Zoe, right? You're alive. You, there's life in you. Um, you're breathing. You are not dead. And that's one way that, that the term is used. But most of the time in the New Testament, <clears throat> it's actually this other second definition. Um, which I, I wrote out as the fullness of the gift given to those in Christ. The under, undying animating product of saturation in the work of Jesus. Animating, imagine, um, the reason I use that word is, imagine I had a, uh, just a stick, right? And, and the actual stick itself is dead. Right? There's actually billions of things alive within the stick, but the actual stick itself is, is just dead. Imagine I could, like, just wave my hands over it and, and I would give it life, right? One of the signs of life is animation, right? That it would be able to move or something or, or it would grow again, right? This, it animates it. Um, I am animate. I am an, an animate object, right? I move. I breathe. I act. And so what, what the life in Christ does is it changes the way I move, the way I breathe, and the way I act. This life is a fullness. It's, a, it's an animation. of It's the way I am now. And it, it is something that we have to be saturated in. We talked several weeks ago about this, the phrase being in Christ. Submitting ourselves to who Christ is and to who he wants us to be. That that is the definition of life. Is to have a, a life so full of he who um, died but was uncorrupted. As, by decay as the the passage that Rihanna read for us out of Acts chapter 2 it's so fascinating to me that that's what P- Peter that Peter's giving this sermon to these Jews right and and Peter's argument for why they ought to accept Jesus is that he did not decay that death didn't win over him that life is still in him even though he died. And so we saturate ourselves in this um, this one we call Lord and it changes who we are doesn't give us more money doesn't necessarily give us more friends but it makes us fully alive this uh, <clears throat> hold that passage of Acts chapter two in in your mind of of this I idea so peter is quoting these psalms right about david and how david will have a kingdom that lasts forever and and peter says clearly that can't be about david because he died we still have his tomb right well i can i can take you to the place where his body lays david's not king anymore but on the other hand you've got this one who overcame death who was not pinned down by death's consequences and so these passages, these ideas are about the one who overcomes death, the one who never is corrupted by decay. Hold that in your mind. I want <clears throat> to go through now, um, Zoe is used a handful of times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and a handful of times in Paul's letters, and a handful of times in, in some other books. But it is used 42 times in the book of John, and almost all of those References in the Book of John are this second definition. They are uses about Jesus um, and the life that Jesus is bringing. Forty-two times, it's it's more than the other three Gospels combined. And so, in a lot of ways, the Book of John is kind of the Book of Life, the Book of Zoe about Jesus. And he had uh, <clears throat> John has these different uh, images that either Jesus uses for himself. Jesus, for instance, says, "I am the bread of life." But then John talks about um, Jesus being the light of the world, right? So there are these images that are surrounded by um, that John paints a picture of the kind of life that that Jesus is going to bring. And the first the first one I want you to think about is from from uh, John chapter six. It's about bread, right? Our ancestors. This is this is Jesus speaking, okay? to uh, Jesus gets in all these really deep arguments with the Pharisees in the book of John. This is one of those arguments. He says, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So again, the the Israelites are in uh, at a certain point, they're in the wilderness and and God's going to give them food because there's no other food around them and they're moving so they can't, uh, they're moving all the time so they can't plant and harvest because God's got them on the move. And So God sends them bread from heaven every day, manna. Um, then Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread. Always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So that, uh, Jesus is, the bread of life sent out by God, right? The manna would show up every morning and they couldn't, the The, the Israelites weren't even allowed to store it anywhere. If they did, they, they would get in trouble. They had to, they had to just trust that every morning it was going to come down and it would be there for them. And, uh, and it gives them life, right? It, it, pro- it provided life in the wilderness. And now so too, the true bread from heaven has come down and it's not bread It's Jesus himself has been sent out from life to bring us life. Sent out into the wilderness where there is decay, where there is death, to preserve us, to take care of us, to make us alive. So that Christ has come to us. The life, I think, one of the things I want to make sure that you, you look at is that the life is not necessarily something you go to. This life comes to you, right? He chooses you first. The bread comes to you. Um, the next one is, is water, another image, and this is from John chapter four when Jesus is talking to this uh, Samaritan woman who's at a well, and he says, uh, she says to him, "Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well?" and with his sons and flocks drank from it, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. Here she is. She's, she's a Samaritan. She's not even a Jew. Um. Jesus probably, it's really weird that Jesus is even close to her, in her town, in her village. It's ridiculous that he's speaking to her. He couldn't even speak to a Jewish woman who wasn't his sister or his mother like the way he's speaking to her. The water has come to her. Not just any old water, not some water that you pull out of a ditch. Water of life. And then, of course, we find out that she's lived quite the life, too. But the water of life comes to her. It comes to her in the midst of her sin, in the midst of her brokenness. The life is sent out that it may bring us back from decay. The next one is light, um, which is, is in several different spots in John This is just a real short snippet. Again, this is is a place where Jesus is having an argument. In John chapter 8, he says, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So that this light that's being sent out to us is something that helps us walk. It's a path that pierces its way through the darkness. It's like the hand of God spreading the Red Sea open, that we might walk across on dry land. But in this time, it's lights breaking the darkness. Again, it comes to us, and this is just after, in the book of John, it's just after that passage where, where uh, the woman's been caught in adultery, and everybody wants the men want to stone her to death. And this is what ha- this is what comes next in the story. The next one, shepherd, John chapter 10. Um, Jesus is telling a, a kind of a parable. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. doesn't say this, but he lays it down for his life for the sheep that they might live. The laying down of his life is for the sake of life. I love this, this, this image of, um, being our shepherd and doing something that nobody else will do for us. Nobody else is. I, mean, I said it last week, right? Nobody. Nobody's going to lay down their life for their enemy. That we're all clinging to. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. But <laughs> there are very few people who I would guess that that's the case for their enemy. Right, as Romans 5 says, came to us while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God. The life goes out to sheep, and not just sheep that are good sheep, sheep that have wandered away. Sheep that have have put the whole flock in danger, the life goes out to them. Uh, The next one is breath um you'll uh i'm not going to read this one i'm just going to recount the story to but to you but you'll find in john uh chapter 20 when jesus is resurrected he goes and uh, the first person that sees him is mary right and he he tells mary not to touch him and and then he says go and tell the disciples what you've seen you've seen me she she thought he was the gardener for a second and then she wants to just cling to him and she he says don't cling to me don't touch me just go and tell the disciples." And then it's several more days before Jesus shows up to the disciples. When he shows up, the first thing he does is he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He makes them new. He breathes the breath of life on him, just as it says um, in Genesis that that God breathed life into Adam. So, too, Jesus breathes life into his disciples, gives them the spirit that will make them as a unit together, as a church to be alive. It goes out to them. And then finally, I think uh, a great... So Jesus has a friend in the book of John. His name is Lazarus. And Lazarus dies. And Jesus at first doesn't go to him. Um, but eventually he gets there, John chapter 11, and, and he comes to Lazarus's sister, Martha. And Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, he says to her. And of course he, he opens up the tomb and he calls out to Lazarus and Lazarus is raised from the dead. Because the life inside Christ is bigger than death. It's resurrection. It is more powerful than what will happen to you at the end of your days. It is life uncorrupted. Life that can't decay. Life that never ends. It is eternal. And it is sent out from the Father to get us and carry us and hold us and so I imagine um, when I think about this I think about all the times that I've s- sat at the foot of the cross not the literal not a literal cross but just anywhere in the woods or uh, in my bedroom or some I mean, I've had like riding on the bus, but whatever it is, just like for whatever reason, everything goes away. And all I'm doing is I'm just kneeling at the foot of the cross in my heart. And so often Jesus looks back down at me, um, metaphorically, and speaks these words of life, right? I know you messed up, but I'm resurrection. We used to, uh, in uh, Anderson, where I went to college, we... There's this magnificent statue of Jesus that, that uh in a cemetery that had the this saying I am the resurrection, right? And the li- I am the resurrection and the life and and our team would run through the cemetery um which everybody thought was weird. I guess it is kind of weird, but there no traffic. So it was nice. Um and uh I'd ru- I go running there at night and people are like, "Why would you do that?" I was like, "They're not going to come out of the grave and get me. <laughs> they're they're dead." Um <laughs> Anyway, uh, we, whenever we would go through there, uh, we would put our hand, we'd touch that, that quote, I am the resurrection and the life. And I don't know what all the other guys on my team thought about, but I would always think about, um, I'd always say a little prayer, like, be alive in me. Because <laughs> the life that's in me on my own, it's corrupted. <laughs> it's decaying. Um, it does not have the strength To stand up to the forces that are around me in this world, much less the forces that will come upon me when my body dies. And so I imagine uh, so many times at the foot of the cross, just um, the freely given life coming down to me. And I I ask you um, at the end of this sermon series, I beg you. Put yourself at the foot of the cross. And if indeed you are worn and broken and hurt, um, ask for Jesus's life. You know, I, too often we think of, of giving our lives to Jesus as being like this one time of thing that we do. Um, but you, if you've been here for any length of time, you know I love to talk about daily repentance, Right? Every day I have to put myself in his arms. Every day I have to ask for his life. Not because I'm afraid of going to hell or something like that, but because I need him. I need him. I need his life in me. As as the book of John says, so that he might increase and I might decrease. That his life might get bigger in me and mine might get smaller. Um... So if you're there, if that's where you are, if you are broken, go to the foot of the cross. Ask for his life. Do that at the end of the service. Um, Go out and sit in your car by yourself, in the parking lot, whatever you need to do. Wherever, however, get to the spot where your heart and your mind is at the foot of the cross. And you ask him for the life that you need. And make it a rhythm. When we read the Bible, I think, um, if you want to read, I hope you read the Bible. I hope you read it every day. But if you're going to do that, this is the posture that you need to go to it with. Be my life. Fill me up. Um, Too often we we come to the Bible in our daily kind of reading and we, we want to master it. Or, or we want to figure it out or and, and there are times for figuring things out but I'm a disciple I want him to be alive in me so when I see that thing that tempts me when I see that uh, that hatred or or I see the the pride welling up in me I can draw from this deep well of living water so that that happens and I, I beg you to do that. If you are hurting, if you are impaired spiritually, physically, emotionally, go to the foot of the cross and get and seek his life. But I also, I also know that there comes a moment when we go to the foot of the cross, and that is not what Jesus speaks to us. I want to I read, um, read this passage at the end of the book of John. Okay, this is the very last passage. Chapter, chapter twenty one. And Jesus has, uh, excuse me, Jesus has shown up on a um, on the beach, and Peter and the other disciples were in the boat, and, and Jesus kind of waves to them, and, and and Peter just jumps out of the boat, right? Because he's just too excited. He's seen the risen Lord, and so he he swims to to where Jesus is, and they they eat fish together on the beach. And after <clears throat> after they've eaten uh, fish together. After they've eaten together, Jesus uh, enters into this this conversation with Peter. And if you don't remember, Peter had denied Jesus three times, right? When when Jesus is undergoing his trial, Peter three times says, I do not know the man. This is the same Peter who before that had said, I will never betray you. Jesus comes back to him. Okay, So now imagine Peter's at the foot of the cross. Probably what Peter wants is Jesus to look down and just to say, I give you life, Peter, and I give it to the fullest. But this is what he actually says. He asked him three times, do you love me? So this is where it picks up at the last, the third time. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, Lord you, you never know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Pre- Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's the, probably that's John. Um, He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Peter comes to the foot of the cross, bows before Jesus, and he's hurt because he's betrayed Jesus. And it must have been the elephant in the room every time he's he's talked to to Jesus. It it must be eating him up inside, and Jesus finally kind of brings it up and says, if you love me, feed my sheep. How, How much Peter must have wanted Jesus to just pat him on the back and say, it'll be all right, Peter. No big deal. How much Peter must have wanted to hear, I am the bread of life, just eat me and it's all good. I'm living water, don't worry about it. But there comes a moment when we look into the eyes of Christ and he says to us, follow me. That's why I I started by saying, if if you're hurt, go and get those words of life because they're there. If you're broken, do that. But I will tell you that as what is rumbling around in my own bones, as that I go to the foot of the cross this week, and I do not get comfort, I get a follow me. Because the things that I have seen and read about and heard and watched are horrifying this week. Horrifying. And I'm not talking about what just the world does. I'm talking about what Christians have done this week. I've seen <clears throat> Christian friends um, who, are, I'm not going to get into the whole profess to be Christians or say that they're, forget that. I don't know. People who tell me they're Christians that voted for Hillary Clinton. And they they say everybody everybody who's a Donald Trump supporter is a, a bigot and a racist. And then I see uh, um, my Christian friends who, who support Donald Trump who've come out and said um, horrifying things. One of them on Facebook said, um, black people should just get used to the N-word. At my alma mater this week, at Anderson University in Indiana, they were having a peace and reconciliation chapel on Thursday. And there was a, a, a young black woman student who was uh, speaking and, and all, the, all the student leaders were, were, had been asked to, to just confess before God what was holding up their hearts for reconciliation and peace. And this, uh, this black woman, um, she said, I, I, uh, I'm having a really hard time with people who voted for Donald Trump and I'm asking God to cleanse me and help me so that I can work in his stead And a student at Anderson University, a Christian liberal arts college, not all that different from George Fox in any way, a white male student stood up and said, F you, and used the N word, during chapel. I've seen friends who say, all this stuff is just the liberal media. No, it's not, actually. Anderson University is not some hub for whatever kind of media. These were people I knew. So when I think about life, I think about it going out. I think about it reaching to that woman at the well. I think about it standing between the men who would stone a woman caught in adultery. I think about that life standing before me and keeping me from getting the consequences I deserve. This week I did not hear words of comfort. Comfort, I heard the words, follow me, Matt. The life that we have is too precious to waste on an election. It's too precious for us to say, you know what, the election is so important that I'll say whatever it takes to convince you and I'll forget about proclaiming the gospel to you. We must be a church committed to Christ as king. We must be a church that seeks humbly to look inside ourselves. When Peter's at the the foot of the cross, Peter wants to point. What about John? What are you going to ask of him? Nobody gets to point at the foot of the cross. Because the blood was spilled for all, and the life was given for all. I don't require more blood than you. (laughs) You don't require more grace than I do. The foot of the cross is level ground. We are each beggars at the door of God's mercy. The life we live, we live only because it came out to us in the midst of our distress. So if you're hurt, if you're broken, if you're in pain, I I ask you to look to the gracious and loving eyes and hands of Christ to receive you and to speak good words of comfort because he does that. But if you're in a place where you can work towards peace, where you can be an emissary of God's life in this world, listen to him say to you, come follow me. Listen to him. Lead you. Let us not point fingers. Let us humbly seek him, to be shaped by him, to be made alive by this good and gracious and kind God who gave up his life For us, that we might live. Let's pray.